everybody and welcome it's 11 p.m eastern time on wednesday december 22nd 2021 last show of this year and thanks for joining us for the 122nd episode of the rock and roll shrink radio show here on blog talk radio so we've got the 122nd on the 22nd i didn't even catch that until just now okay done having numbers fun special thanks to our host ndb media I'm Casey Shapiro, and with me tonight, as always, is Dr. Stephen Mathis, a.k.a. the Rock and Roll Shrink. And let's give him some thank you and welcome applause. (laughs) want to wish a blessed solstice or Yule to those who celebrated uh, tomorrow's Festivus for the rest of us, and then Christmas and uh, Kwanzaa, and I think that's most of them until New Year's. Hanukkah's already happened. So welcome to the holiday season, and thank you for joining us. We'll be taking calls from our listeners all evening and during the show at 914-338-0314. You can also follow along in our live chat room on blogtalkradio.com as the show is happening. Before we begin, a couple quick disclaimers. This show does not constitute a doctor-client relationship, nor legal or medical representation of any kind. Also, the views expressed on this show are those of Dr. Mathis and Ms. Shapiro and are not an official stance on behalf of the psychological community or its peer vetting or regulatory bodies. Okay, now a topic-relevant bit of music that is played by Dr. Mathis himself. Take it away, Doc.
All right. As always, thank you for that. And my mic was off, so I apologize for that weird, awkward silence. Uh, But if you would not mind, please let us know the name of the song and the artist and its relevance to tonight's topic. You know, the uh, title of the song is No Expectations, and it's uh, sort of a deep cut off Beggar's Banquet, which is an older Rolling Stone song. And it's uh, one of the last uh, things that uh, Brian Jones did, excuse me, uh, with his stay uh, prior to leaving the Stones and prior to his untimely demise. And, you know, it's a song, it's kind of a melancholy song about not having any expectations of the future and having expectations uh, previously adhered to kind of disillusioned and disappointed. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a sad song, but I think tonight's topic is a little melancholic. So I thought it would be kind of a nice blend Yes, and you know, sad songs say so much. <laughs> there you go. All righty, thank you very much for that. And um, <clears throat> as Dr. Mathis mentions, tonight's episode is entitled "Landslide: Coping with Extreme Holiday Uncertainty," and we'll get to that in just a moment. Before we begin our topic discussion, let's first go to the rock and roll shrink recall which is a moment of rock music trivia stories as recounted by Dr. Mathis, if you would, sir. And I want to let our listeners know that a lot of discussion tonight may be a little bit of a bummer, but we're kind of here to take some of that stuff on. So just giving you guys a heads up. If you want to take it away, let's go ahead and talk about that. Okay, so tonight's trivia is kind of a bummer, too. (laughs) So. Uh, Notwithstanding all of the classic jazz and some of the uh, hip-hop and bebop bass players we lost this year, and we lost a bunch of them, uh, I'm going to talk about sort of the rock and uh, pop uh, musicians in general we lost in 2020 to a variety of uh, circumstances. Uh, These are sort of in uh, numerical order as they passed from January to December. So starting on January 3rd, Gary Marsden, uh, who most people more often know as the uh, singer and guitarist from Gary and the Pacemakers, (laughs) the Mersey Beat Band back in the day, uh, he died of a blood infection. Uh, I think he was 78 uh, wow. January 11th, Mark Keds, who was the front man for the British band Senseless Things, uh, died of chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, and he was only 50, so I suspect that comes on the heels of some other uh, <clears throat> unfortunate uh, life habits we might have had, but I don't know that for a fact, so oh. I shouldn't say that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so Sylvain Sylvain, <laughs> former guitarist for the Criminals and the New York Dolls, died from cancer oh. at age 69 on the 13th of January. Oh, I uh, Hilton that one. Valentine, okay. yeah, Hilton Valentine, who was uh, the original guitarist and founding member of the Animals, died at 77, and they didn't give a cause of death for that. Uh, Sean Kennedy. Uh, former bassist for the metalcore band I Kill the Prom Queen. <laughs> you know that name. Oh, uh, Lord. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He died from suicide uh, February 23rd. He was 35 years old. Yeah. 
Wow. Uh, LG Pet- yeah, LG Petrov, who was uh, entombed AD's front man. Uh, and, well, excuse me. Uh, yeah, his his bandmates. He was the front man for entombed AD. His bandmates confirmed that he passed away. Uh, I think on March seventh from bile duct cancer, which is really nasty. Uh, Alan Cartwright, who was the basis for Procol Harum, which, of course, is Robin Trower's original band, uh, Wider Shade of Pale, my all-time favorite old two songs, died at uh, stomach cancer, 75 years old. Uh, Corey Steger, under oath guitarist, uh, founding member of the metalcore band, actually, uh, was in a car wreck and died. He was 42 years old. Uh, One of my all-time favorites, Chick Corea. Uh, who was a former uh, <gasps> keyboardist? Yeah, for Miles Davis and one of the the main drivers of Return to Forever. I actually saw them when they did the 30 year reunion when they came through here. It was just freaking fabulous. Uh, died of a weird form of cancer on, on uh, at 79. I did so not know we lost really, him. Jeez. I didn't either. That shit, when I saw that, I was like, holy moly. All right. Yeah. So Rusty Young, I also didn't know we'd lost, who was the front man and steel player of Poco, uh, died oh. of 70, at 75 by a heart attack. Poco actually lost two people this year. I'm going to get to the next one in a minute. Um, <clears throat> keyboardist and composer and main driver of Meatloaf, Jim Steinman, died oh. uh, of a stroke at 73. Ouch. Yeah, DMX, better, you know, real name, yeah. quote unquote. Uh, Earl Simmons died at 50 of a heart attack. Uh, so yeah. that was kind of. Yeah, and there was kind more of to that stuff. one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, he, he, yeah. He, well, he, most of these guys, if you're dying young from a heart attack or a stroke, you probably had a. You did something to yourself. Yeah. 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 M- misspent middle age that caught up with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I shouldn't laugh. It's really not funny. Uh, Florian uh, Pinkleton Mixka, who was Curved Air's drummer. If you've ever heard that band, they were a strange band. Uh, died uh, at age 70 of pneumonia. He was one of the few male members of that band. Uh, Johnny Solinger, who was hired to replace uh, Sebastian Bach and Skid Row, oh, uh, died okay. at age 54. Five from liver cancer, and uh, I suspect that was due to a life of imbibing too much uh, ethanol. So oh. yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. I know what a shock, right? Uh, John Lawton, who was the lead singer for Uriah Heep, uh, died oh, at seventy-four. Okay. He was actually their second lead singer. He replaced the original guy, who everybody knows on Easy Living and all their classic stuff. Uh, Jeff Labar. The uh, big-haired guitar player for Cinderella, 58. And they didn't list the cause of death, but he was known to have a really bad drinking problem. So it wouldn't surprise me if it was some kind of cirrhosis of the liver or something of that nature. But they have not released. released, uh, That's probably part of why they don't want to point at it. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, I love Cinderella. They're one of my all-time favorite big hair bands. I really love that band. Um, Mike Howe, who was Metal Church's vocalist, uh, died in late July at age 56 of uh, suicide by hanging. 
Joey Jordan. Yeah, I know. Joey Jordanson, who was Slipknot's drummer, uh, died late, same oh. thing, late July. I think, I think died on the same day, July 26. And he was only 46 oh years old. He had some kind of a very strange neurological condition. <gasps> oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, everybody knows uh, 72-year-old Dusty Hill, the original and longtime yeah. bass player, because he stopped dying in his sleep. A couple of days after that, he had had uh, numerous medical issues. And, I mean, at one time, he'd accidentally shot himself. <laughs> he's, he's had a lot of misadventures. Uh, but Sorry to hear that. Really, yeah. really a classic with band. They're, they're not going to be the same without him. Uh, it's yeah. just they had an energy. And I've probably seen that band five or six times in concert, and they were really just great energy. Uh, the other yeah. Poco guy, their guitarist, Paul Cotton, died uh, early August. Um, and they said that he died unexpectedly, so they didn't say what he died from. He was 78. Uh, Don Everly, uh, one of the Everly brothers, of vocalist brothers. and guitarist. Yeah, uh, was, he was 84. One of the original pioneering rock and roll guys. Yeah. Uh, Eric Wagner. Uh, former frontman for uh, Trouble and more recently vocalist with the doom metal band The Skull, uh, died of pneumonia at 62. Uh, and oh. that was in late August. And shortly after that, of course, uh, Start Me Up is not starting me up anymore. Um, yeah, I know that's a bad joke. Charlie Watts, the Stones drummer, uh, passed away yeah. of, can- of cancer at age 80. Um, he looked really good for his age, I have to tell you. I, I was um, going to say, I was shocked. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, he looks really good for his age. Um, Ron Bushy, uh, who was the original drummer and did the very first on-record drum solo in, in Agata de Vida for Iron Butterfly, uh, oh. died at 78 of esophageal cancer. Uh, Black Oak, Arkansas guitarist Ricky Lee Reynolds, uh, died from cardiac arrest. He was 72. And one of my all-time favorite old-school bands, most people, when I say status quo, they don't really know who it is, but if I say pictures of match, uh, matchstick men, they're like, oh, is that, the name? is that the band that did that song? Yes. They also did a great cover of John Fogarty's uh, Rockin' All Over the World. Did a great cover of that. Um, he had oh. multiple sclerosis. He's the bassist. And oh. Lancaster was the bassist. Died at 72 from multiple sclerosis. Uh, he had joined the band and then quit the band later and, and then came back and had done one of the last tours with them about five years ago. Uh, George Frain, who most people know as Commander Cody, as in Commander Cody and the Lost Planet Airmen. Going <laughs> uh, to cause me to start drinking if you don't stop that, start driving that hot rod, Lincoln. Uh, oh Lord! I liked that of, song as a kid. Let me tell isn't you. Isn't that great? Yeah, it's got a great. Uh, that's got a great little riff in it. Uh, yeah. Died of cancer at 77. Ouch. One of my uh, all-time favorite old-school uh, bands, Moody Blues drummer Graham Edge, passed away in early November. He was 80. He also looked fabulous. Uh, died from cancer. As you see, we lost a lot of drummers this year. Uh, uh, Hank von Helveta, who was Terminegro's front man, he was a very strange puppy. Uh, they're a, for those who don't know, they're a uh, sort of a Norwegian kind of a punk death 
they're a funky band. I <laughs> they're very. I, I'm they glad you explained it because I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, they kind of remind me of a Norwegian version of uh, Rose Tattoo, the Australian band. Oh. Except this guy's a whole lot funkier looking than their lead singer. Anyway, he passed away from uh, <laughs> a history of drug yeah. abuse at 49. Oh, so, see, some of these people died pretty young. Uh, David Longdong, uh, Longdon, excuse me, of Big Big Train. That's another funky. That's another funky band. Yeah, yeah they have like thirty members in that freaking band. I'm almost like really guys. Uh, anyway, I, the kind of music they play, they need it because they do a lot sake. of. Yeah, they, well, they do a lot of. They do a lot of big bandy kind of stuff. So they have a whole horn section, and you know, they, really? they do. It's a big production. Uh, he was yeah. 56, had an accident, died from an accident. Um, John Miles, who most people don't know, but he had a lot of uh, sort of one-off hits in the 70s and 80s, but he also did work with Alan Parsons Project and Jimmy Page. He was a really good vocalist. Uh, died at 72, uh, and they didn't. Oh. They, they said after a short illness, but they did not reveal what illness he died from. And finally, someone everyone will know who is a... Uh, singer-songwriter, and after a while finally learned to play guitar. <laughs> and I'm not slamming him because he did a lot of good stuff after the demise of the monkeys. Mike Nesbeth passed away uh, yeah. on December 10th uh, of heart failure. And he was in the middle of doing a tour with their drummer, Mickey Dolenz, and they were doing sort of a farewell monkeys tour. Um, so that's... Uh, wow. uh, yeah, and so a lot, of, a lot of your folks have died just, you know, from physical issues as they get older and some folks uh, self-inflicted either on purpose or as a result of a life uh, less well spent. So in any case, it's always sad uh, when these folks pass away. And uh, I didn't even list all the jazz, old school jazz drummers because we lost probably 15 old school jazz drummers and the bass player for the Roots passed away about a week ago. I mean, we lost a lot of working musicians this year. So... I guess it's, you know, I mean, that part of that's to be expected as folks get older, but, you know, I don't really consider 35 old. I don't consider 42 old. I don't no, consider 60. No, I was going to say a half that list is underage for this kind of mess. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And some of them were car accidents and some of them were just, some of them were suicides yeah. and some of them were misspent youth. But it's just really sad. I mean, because, you know, you, if you're a nerd like a music nerd as I am, uh, you grow attached to these people. You know they sort of they become part of the fabric of your life, and their songs mean a lot to you. And you know a lot of these, some of these folks I never even heard of, and a lot of these folks I'm not really crazy about. But that's not the point. The point is that right. you know people who are crazy about them, and some of these guys I'm very crazy. Some of these bands I'm very crazy about. You know, you form a, a an allegiance with them and sort of a spiritual connection, and it's just it's a loss. I mean, it's a real, real loss. I mean, I yeah, you know, and I just feel I just feel sad for them and their family members and those folks who really, you know, looked up to them and liked them and whose music inspired them. And the good news is they're going to live on in their music. But damn, it'd be nice if they were still alive in the flesh, making more music. You know. But, yeah, no, you know, I, I I get it, and I think a lot of our listeners are like that too. Even if they're not as deeply of a music nerd as you are, I think this whole having musicians become icons in your life thing has become really fairly common. It, you know, it's, it's yeah, really absolutely. common now. 
So, you know, I, and sadly, I think, you know, because music has gotten to be popular and, you know, and plus we have the Internet and things can spread more now, I think we're going to be hearing more about these things because probably, you know, a few decades ago, people just slipped through the cracks and then all of a sudden, you know, five years goes by and somebody brings it up and goes, oh, he's not here anymore. But now it's like, you know, five days. Yeah. You, know, you hear about it yeah. just right after the family announces, you hear stuff now. And I think it's just going to get more. And I think that's definitely going to be touching on stuff we're bringing up tonight for sure. Well, and what I hope is that it will inspire both myself, uh, speaking for me, and, and some of our listeners to not take shit for granted, particularly life and existence and, you know, to grab it and do as much as you can with what you got while you got it. You know, the gathering ye rosebuds and guitar strings while and you may. <laughs> flugelhorns and reeds and uh, drumsticks while you may. <laughs> so, you know, I, you know, I could drive, drive to have a heart attack doing this show for God's sake. And, uh, you yeah, know, hopefully that will not happen. <laughs> Listeners will not be going, holy shit, he died on the show. Uh, but, you know, oh, but I mean, Lord. as you know, Colonel Bruce Hampton, died literally on stage here in Atlanta on his 80th birthday at the very end of the show. And everybody thought he was coming on and he did an encore and everybody thought he was doing a stage act and he literally had a heart attack and died on stage. Oh my God. So, yeah. So the it's only like, one okay. Had that happened was um, Ian, what's his name? The guy who was the lead of Joy Division, the original before they became. Oh, uh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He had a strange yeah. form of something similar to epilepsy, and he had a seizure on stage, and people thought he was dancing. Yeah. And it's like, no, he was yep. trying to die. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, eventually yeah. wasn't trying, unfortunately. But, you know, as much as it somewhat pains me to say this, thank you for the stories, because it is um, useful to keep track of that stuff. I don't want to say it's nice to know, because it really isn't very nice, but it's helpful. And we're going to yep, talk absolutely. about that a little more in a minute. So thanks. And that's what we hope for. I'm sorry, there was applause. What were you saying? I said, and that's what, no, no, no worries. That's what we're here for, to be helpful, right? Yep, yep, exactly. All righty. So let's do some of that. So thank you for the anecdotes, and we'll take calls from our listeners and questions that people may have in the online chat room throughout the rest of the evening until around midnight. Uh, it's 11.23 right now, so we've got about 40 minutes to talk, roughly. Uh, please feel free to give us a call. Again, the number is 914-338-0314. All righty. So episode 122, Landslide, Coping with Extreme Holiday Uncertainty. So every year it's been a tradition here at the Rock and Roll Strength to choose topics that are especially relevant to the changing social landscape surrounding the fall and winter holidays. The majority of us will be returning to childhood hometowns, seeing family members with whom we haven't interacted much for a while, and many of whom may perpetuate toxic dynamics with us, or we may even be cocooning at home, feeling down that we're not doing these things. Now our last show was related to this, but dealing with abuse at home, especially during the, specifically during the holidays when plans and routines can drastically change because of gatherings and reunions. <clears throat> and as a review, here are the names of most of our other holiday-related shows about a wide variety of holiday dynamics and issues. 
um, way back in the day, episode nine, Holiday Depression, part one of three. That was in November of 2016. And all of these are listed on our Facebook page in order, by the way. And I'm working on a project for later where I'll also be on the website for those of you who do not Facebook, because I don't blame you. Um, the next one, uh, part two, is episode 10, maintaining sobriety and health during the holidays, because that can be really hard for people dealing with relatives they don't see the rest of the year. And unfortunately, sometimes those relatives are contributors to why some people abuse things. Um, that was in December of 2016. And then the third part was episode 11, Reasonable and Rational New Year's Resolutions. And that was at the end of December 2016. Followed by episode 35, The Grand Illusion. And that was December 2017. That was about the myth of perfect holidays. And that may be a little bit relevant to tonight because it deals with expectations. <clears throat> and episode 36, um, not a two-parter, but they were both holiday-relevant. Um, that was another old Lang Syne, which was uh, December 2017 also, and that's about resolutions and guilt. Episode 56, The Psychology of Holidays, that was November 2018. And episode 57, Setting Boundaries on Holidays, that was at the end of November 2018. Episode 80, who says you can't go home? Toxic family holidays, which we've talked about before. Um, that was November 2019. Episode 81, I'll Be Home for Christmas, about holiday losses. Also quite relevant for what we're going to talk about tonight. That was December 2019. Episode 97, Thankfulness, part one of two. That was November 2020. And episode 98, Thankfulness, part two of two. That was December 2020. And last show that we did, episode 121, You Give Love a Bad Name, Domestic Violence and Abuse During the Holidays. And that was in December, uh, the beginning of December. And then tonight, we'd like to talk about coping skills for extreme uncertainty, holiday chaos and stress. And we mean the kind like we've had for the last two years of pandemic life, not the normal, hectic, cute Hallmark TV show holiday season, not that stuff. Uh, how to keep your mental health intact in a storm of chaos and change. Our emotional responses are understandable, more than validation. Many people just don't know any longer how to cope and how to keep going. So tonight we're going to discuss what has changed for people during the pandemic that differs from everyday frustration. Next, what are normal healthy coping skills for dealing with chaos, disappointment, and frequent change. Next, what has kept people from adjusting to what seems like our new normal, or at least, you know, for the foreseeable future? And last, what are some tips and resources for helping us cope better? And before we get started, I'm going to check in with Dr. Mathis and see if there's anything that you want to bring up before we get going. Nope, I'm good. Thanks. All righty. Let's go ahead and dive in. It's 11:28. Let's start talking about this. So first, what has changed for people during the pandemic that differs from everyday frustration? So this time we want to talk about coping with the frustration and disappointment of not only the usual chaos of many holidays and family get-togethers, but in particular those during the last two years, which have had a much 
larger amount of constantly changing expectations, plans, preparations, and so forth. It isn't just the usual smaller number of minor holiday hiccups, but complex and expensive plans that were hard to solidify got suddenly canceled or details changed sometimes multiple times. Refreshments, travel, space planning, and many, and not out of space, but, you know, the venue space, <laughs> and many other factors are yanked back and forth, and so many of us have just had enough. <clears throat> This isn't necessarily a mental health disorder topic, but it is a mental health concern when we all continue to endure a global crisis for two years and a long list of abandoned social deadlines to show for it. We get our hopes up and expectations to have them change again and again, and it really has frayed everyone's nerves to some degree, and some people to a constantly changing degree. And also... Most of what we discussed tonight applies, a little bit at least, to other holidays, other plans such as parties or vacations, birthdays, shows, movies and concerts, dating activities, helping someone out. You know, I'm going to go cross town and help my friend who's a shut-in. You know, you got to question all that now and vet things. And other situations that usually require either or both planning and spending money. Even major life events such as a birth, wedding, or death or funeral, things that do not adjust so often or drastically have been affected by the chaos. And some of these things we'll never get back, honestly. So how do we usually cope with holiday stress? Let's talk about that. Most of the time, normally, people take breaks, ask for help, or break or make plans better suited to the current situation and energy level. You know, so. Pardon my hiccups. Some people start saying no to things because they really just don't have the energy. And some people are kind of tired of being at home and they want to do something. So they start making plans right and left. You know, whatever you need to do. That's what we usually do with this stuff when it's not. I'm so sorry. I'm having a really bad hiccups right now. I apologize. Um, You know, when you have. Plan, you don't have any plans and you need to make something because you really just want to get out of the house and see your friends or something. So whatever it is that you do, that's what we do on a normal basis. Here are some additional factors that are not really very much help in our current situation. In other words, these might be things that could be solved on a typical basis. But part of the reason people are having trouble coping is that what we've been dealing with is no longer typical. So what used to work and what used to help doesn't always. So first one is the known. The holidays, vacations, shows, parties, etc. are for a known, defined quantity of time. This makes it easier to cope if things go sour because once the event's over, anything bad will kind of stop being as much of an issue for the most part. I mean, you know. The, the drunk relative spoiling the party, it will, even if they keep doing it, they're going to go home or they'll be in someone else's home and you don't have to hear it. You know, that's kind of what I'm saying. So this kind of thing is extra stressful now as the plans for outings and events can change multiple times, get canceled, get reinstated, much with short or no notice. Complex planning is easier previously because it still gets typically done the first time, you know, you did all that stuff, you figured it all out, who's sitting with who, who's got the tickets, who's got the food, and now you can sit down and rest until it's time to do the event. 
That's not happening the last couple of years. Second and related item, prep. Additional planning, including refreshments, attire, tickets, parking, sitters for children or pets, travel arrangements, supplies, directions, and other factors are also complex but can be coped with when a deadline is known and done. You know, for example, I have three months to the wedding. I have to do X, Y, Z, and my maid or matron or person of honor is helping me. We can deal with the chaos because we know it takes this much time to do such and such. Many people do not have the social or emotional resiliency to keep changing things multiple times unexpectedly with little or no control. Also, some things like catering, decorating, or entertainment can't be renegotiated, but so many times before the vendor may just drop out. And I'm not criticizing businesses that do that. I'm just pointing out that you know, from a pragmatic standpoint, they can adjust, but there's a limit to how much that can happen. And I know that this frustrates people because they can't really control it. Next, coordinating, also related. Some events are small or low activity and low planning, but plans that involve public venues, multiple other people not in your household, can quickly break stress levels from coordinating every new change or cancellation. You know, imagine you're having a a birthday dinner somewhere and you got to keep changing the date. So now you've got to call 15 people and tell them more than once. And then somebody can't go and somebody's sick and somebody's kid has a game and blah, blah, blah. There goes your party. It's all screwed. And so a lot of people are getting very frayed with that sort of thing happening. Next is work. And by this, I mean the workplace. Some people need to make extensive coordination outside social circles, such as with their workplace. And constant revisions can endanger one's supervisor's willingness to accept time off. Some places are good about that, and some places are really not. And if you change it around too many times, there are bosses who will say, okay, you know, we're just not doing this. And I think people get terrified that's going to happen to them while they're trying to do these plans. You know, I've I've been very fortunate in that my day job is super understanding about these things, and I cannot tell you the extremity to which I feel blessed because I know that almost nobody else that I know outside of that company is getting these kind of accommodations, and I know that stresses people out a lot. Next is control. Part of coping for many people is having a lot of control, or at least perceived control, over the chain of events. People have planned events months in advance just to discover a lot later that there's no longer any safe way to have the event. Or if one can, it will still have differing levels of restrictions depending on new medical discoveries or community change. Even if safety protocols change and the moves have public health in mind, this doesn't make it easier to cope with after a subjective number of changes and plans occur. I mean, some people can deal with it a lot. Some people get two or three changes and they have a meltdown. So just remember tonight's show is about frustration levels and coping, not criticizing what needs to be done for public health reasons. We're just saying, you know, what needs to be done is stressing people out and they're, they're melting down. And that's what we're here to talk about. Next is magnitude of change. So most of these points are aspects of the same basic problem. People can process a certain amount of change in chaos 
because they expect a deadline and a break afterwards. You know, they're like, if I just get through this Christmas party and then I can just relax for a while. And for the last two years, it's been close to impossible to be certain one will have either, never mind both, a, you know, a deadline and a break. It can make us feel like we're children again, waiting to be told what it is safe to do. And, and again, I'm not judging whether it's true or not, because usually it is, but it frustrates. And it makes people feel like they're kids. You know, you, you have to sit and wait to be told it's okay to do a thing. No, it's not. It's going to be okay if you do it before it's cold, you know, whatever. People can't cope with it. it. It's too much. And that's not a reason to stop. Again, talking about frustration and how to cope with it, how to process it. Additional unusual factors. So many of us cope more poorly with unexpected and extreme social change because we've been isolated from large parts of our usual support systems. Not to mention many of us are still grieving people we've lost in the last couple of years for whatever reasons, not all just pandemic. As well as stressing about the fragility of our job situations and income, Supply shortages, relationships with people outside the home and more, all this stuff. If people were dating and they're not part of the same home circle, these relationships have really gotten flipped on end. And a lot of people have broken up because it's kind of just like dating a possibly fake person on the Internet. You don't touch them. You don't see them and talk about your day or any of that stuff. And people kind of separate and they lose interest. And that's been really stressful for people. Um, next one is some people choose to live alone and prefer it, and that's fine. But so many people suddenly had to end, had, suddenly had to, pardon me, that's a typo, and they were not prepared. Never mind that they kept having the proverbial goalpost of for how long moved repeatedly. <clears throat> This creates a situation where being able to recapture some semblance of normalcy through social events that you're used to doing gets artificially elevated to a level of imperativeness it wouldn't typically have. In other words, if you've been shut up in your house and you finally get a window where you think you might be able to go out with a couple friends to a concert, you get really, really, really freaking invested in that concert. Whereas a couple years ago, it's like, okay, that's nice. If I make it, great. You know, if I don't, I'll see them in Baltimore or whatever. Um, it really makes you have different priorities about stuff when you can taste it again. You know, people have a hard time with that. And with this, I'm going to wrap this part of the discussion and check in with you, Dr. Mathis, see if there's anything you'd like to add. No, I think I'm good. Thanks. All right. So let's go to the next part which is what are normal healthy coping skills for dealing with chaos, disappointment, and frequent change. So we've spoken about healthy coping skills many times on this show before. So most of our listeners likely know what this answer is going to be. So first, tend to your diet, medical needs, and sleep patterns first, and don't make that face at me. Because these need to be as strong as possible in order for your body and mind to be up to processing the rest of the stuff. You know, if you are hoofing potato chips and you're out of your medication and you're not sleeping good, you're going to be even less able to cope with the giant ball of chaos going on than you would if you were in better shape. Um, Now, some of you may think this is trite or hokey, but it really does make a difference. 
If even doing this seems too much, okay, pick one thing today and pick one thing about it that you can change to improve it. You know, just make the change small enough where you can start there and complete it and see how that went. Push yourself a little bit more tomorrow. It's better on your nerves to finish a small change than shame yourself for not completing a bigger one or doing nothing. So, you know, in other words, put on your mask before you put on anybody else's mask. You hear that joke all the time about the airplane and everything, but it's true. All right, next, reach out to your support system and trusted friends. And if part of the problem is that you don't have them, try a mental health professional and make this one of your first goals. Also, if you are having trouble finding a mental health professional to talk to, we have posted several lists of resources for that. Uh, And I have to go and look up the name of it, but it includes one that's a texting-only number, which is preferable for a lot of the younger generations, um, where you can text them for free and they will text you back. A volunteer will talk to you. So if absolutely nothing else, there are free places to get somebody's ear to bend to talk, but talk to somebody. Whatever you can get, don't bottle it up. Next, make yourself let go of exactly exactly what plans and events look like. We're all sacrificing things. We've all lost events and moments. It does suck, deeply so. I get it. But dwelling on that is not going to help your coping improve. So let's focus on what will. Make it not as, it's not as good as the other way we know, but make it acceptable to do what you can in an adjusted way. Doing something is often more of a comfort than missing it entirely. Do what you can to connect to people and resources online. It may be strange for some of you, uh, you know, people who don't live on the Internet like I do, <laughs> but it does help going for now somewhat. Plus, online connections can be had at any time instead of waking somebody up in meet space at 2 a.m. to talk you down. You know, this way you don't have to be, oh, my God, I can't call them now because they're sleeping, and then have that be the reason that you have a meltdown because you didn't have anybody. So avail yourselves of this stuff. Since the pandemic started, this stuff has exploded. There's so many resources now online where there weren't before because people didn't know how to do it, didn't really know if it was going to work, and then all of a sudden they had to. And that was a perfect example of what we're having to do with so many things. It's like we really didn't get a say. It just happened, and it was sink or swim. So all of a sudden these resources are just exploding everywhere. And as with all things, if you can't find what I'm talking about, message the page on Facebook or email us at the email on Dr. Mathis' website, rockandrollshrink.com. You guys should know that. All right, next thing is find a way to communicate with others about canceled or changed plans so that nobody falls. And what I'm talking about here is not really the, the minutia of the plans, but let people know so that nobody falls into the former trap of thinking it reflects badly on the friendship. Like there are people who cancel plans and what they're doing is ghosting you. So... Get in touch with people and make sure they understand um, the venue's not open because the bouncer got COVID or whatever. 
whatever happens. So we can forget these things used to be like that and feel hurt or insulted about canceled plans because in the past, maybe it was meant that way. Also, people in the past tended to forgive big emergencies like an injury or a big transportation problem. You know, I got a flat on the beltway. Uh, more so than they would forgive just not showing up or canceling last minute with no excuse. Um, something to bear in mind, before COVID, people who had pathologies of being perfectionists, narcissists, people who have trouble setting limits and expressing anger, or people pleasers who overcommitted, often canceled plans, but we react as if that's still what's going on now, and it's not. Um, people... Basically, we're trying to cut down the butt hurt because that's how it used to be. And people have forgotten that a little bit, and they have these emotional responses when you cancel plans. So talk to each other and be truthful and be transparent because we really, really need that now. All right, so what are some reactions that are understandable and given the circumstances typical? but may not necessarily be healthy, unstressful, or appropriate. (laughs) Sometimes people are acting out and doing things that we know we shouldn't be doing because we just have to prove to ourselves that these changes are not forever. And some people started doing that last year, like in March or April. And some people lasted many months and then kind of fell into it. Some people fall into it and then they go, oh, that's bad, and they stop. And then they get frustrated because they haven't fully coped and they do it again and back and forth, back and forth. So here are examples of things that people do that I'm talking about in this section. Um, Things such as abandoning social distance guidelines because we miss people or activities that much that we tell ourselves we can't stand it another day, which is not true even if it feels that way. Feelings are valid, but you can stand it. Becoming short-tempered, snippy, or other expressions of pent-up anger. Drinking alcohol or other self-medicating. And I'm not really talking about having a little sherry after dinner to just have a digestive and and calm down. I mean, using it to cope with what's going on. Um, Likewise, eating junk food or eating too much food. Even, Even if it's healthy food, if you just start pigging out, because you're bored, depressed, just not coping. It tastes good and I want to be comforted. Um, You know, we know better, but people do this. Uh, Getting a new pet or an expensive object purchase. I upgraded my car. I got a fancy electronics, uh, you know, thing or whatever uh, to alleviate boredom, depression, or loneliness, even though we shouldn't have. You know, we don't really have the money or the time to deal with it or whatever. And then plus, in this case, the holiday season, a lot of people do either of these things quite a bit. And it's even worse now. Um, not getting needed health care because doctors are swamped or we may fear noncompliant fellow patients. You know, they're, depending on where you are in the country and what medical facilities are nearby, um, we're actually fortunately myself personally in a part of the country where it's not as much of an issue, but we're very far from the big city. So if anybody has anything fancy going on, this may still be a problem, even though we're doing pretty well. But, you know, I know that a lot of medical facilities are swamped and it comes and goes depending on what's going on with COVID so that other pathologies don't get attention because there's not enough staff. 
but talk to your GP or someone medical and see what alternatives there are because if you just put stuff off and all of a sudden six months have gone by, your blood levels are doing this, your blood pressure is doing that, you know, you've got all kinds of problems and then all of a sudden you're going to need to be in the hospital and you might not be able to depending on where you are. So don't put this stuff off because it just cascades. It's also going to affect your ability to cope. Not taking days off work due to money panic or being essential. You know, sometimes these things can't be helped, uh, but people are leaning into them because they're terrified. They're either, you know, because of the nature of their job, they've been made to be terrified that they can't get a break and they need a break. A lot of essential workers especially need breaks, but they can't because there's not enough to go around. Or people are worried that if they take any time off right now, they'll fire, they'll get fired because there's always somebody hungry who can take your place. And then, you know, in six months to a year, that person will burn out and need a break. Um, I know some people don't have a workplace where they can work that out. And I don't have a good answer for that if they're being unreasonable. Cause my answer is a little flip and I don't mean it that way, but it's basically polish your LinkedIn polish your resume and start looking because right now it's an employer's market. No, backwards. It's not an employer's market. It's, it's an employee's market because a lot of good people getting set up and walking away. So employers are more amenable to things than they have been in, in many years. Um, but take your breaks. You know, I, I actually, I am at a workplace where I get scolded for that <laughs> a little, not, not really directly, but they, they watch, Every so often, just to see who's not taking some time, because people can panic and lose sight of stuff, and just all of a sudden you realize you haven't had a a long weekend or anything in in nearly a year, and then you're starting to get snippy at work and so on, so you try to avoid that. Um, The other things that people do are sleeping way too much or staying up way too much and not sleeping hardly any. any of these combinations of these can be stuff that people are doing and we understand why and it happens a lot in situations like this but what's going on now is unusual and it's huge and we understand that this is a reaction that you would expect but these are damaging so please stop doing them (laughs) and with this i'm going to check in with dr mathis and see if you want to add anything Nope, I'm still okay, thanks. All righty. Let's go to the next section, and that is what has kept people from adjusting to what seems like our new normal, at least for a while. So the uncertainty and chaos of a scientifically valid and necessary figurative goalpost and the consequences of all this not being identical for everyone. In other words, some people can put up with it a long time. Some people have a complete meltdown in three months. It makes it so difficult to know if we will ever go back to how much of our old lives and when is it time to let go of that and find what life is now. Um, I think that's something that Dr. Mathis was mentioning in the beginning is, you know, do what you can with what you do have. Um, It's really hard to let go of that because you can taste pieces of it, but uh, sometimes it's not going to happen. Acceptance makes a horrible thing real for many people, 
and having difficulty obtaining full and correct facts on the situation due to societal politicizing the situation and spreading propaganda further muddy people's ability to judge what must be born, what's temporary, what isn't, and when to deal with a new normal way of life. Most of us are looking for straight, verifiable, and I'm adding into the script, simple answers and expecting results from our work and sacrifice and getting those has been painfully difficult. All these things also contribute to our poor adjustment behaviors. And they talk about some of this in an article that I grabbed for you guys. And its title is COVID-19 has turned off, tur- turned all of our plans for 2020 upside down, but scheduling things is more important than ever in these strange times. Written by Kate Morgan on July 20th, 2020, bbc.com. It's from last year, but this part at the end is useful because she talks about why we hate loose ends. And that has a little bit to do with the coping thing. I think it's good that you guys hear this. So planning does more than give us something to anticipate. I, I'm not sure I agree with her that planning is is helpful here, but she wrote this just weeks into the really hardcore quarantine. I don't think she realized that July 2021 and six months after that, we're still in the same damn boat. I'm not. I'm curious if she would have said the same thing. Um, but I just wanted to bring it up. Okay. Planning does more than give us something to anticipate. It can also help quell anxiety by dealing with cognitive clutter. A widely accepted model of mental processing called cognitive load theory, first coined in the late 60s, in- indicates that the human brain is capable of processing a limited amount of information at any given time. When uncertainty makes it difficult to accomplish things, we can end up carrying all these things simultaneously in our minds. Quote, things that never become done just add to our load, says Newport. That's where what's known as the zygotic effect, and feel free to correct me if I said that wrong, comes into play. Named for a Russian psychologist who first wrote about the effect in the late 1920s, it refers to our tendency to fixate on loose ends a tendency that's amplified right now where it seems there are many more loose ends and sureties. Quote, unfulfilled goals tend to persist in people's minds, end quote, says E.J. Masicampo, an associate professor of psychology at Wake Forest University in North Carolina, who has studied how planning can mitigate the zygotic effect. Quote, on average, when you ask people to write out all their current goals and to-dos, There are 15 different things people are thinking about and pursuing at any given time. There's a lot of stuff going on in the unconscious, end quote. All these unresolved thoughts and objectives, everything from plotting a shopping trip to wondering whether your wedding is going to happen, pile onto our cognitive load. That can quickly become overwhelming, which breeds anxiety and causes intrusive thoughts, according to Masicampo's research. So basically, that's just speaking to why this un- why uncertainty bugs the crap out of us so much, and, and this is kind of what's going on, why we don't deal with it very well. And with that, I'm going to pause and turn it over to Dr. Mathis if you have anything to add. Uh, no, I'm pretty good, although I will say that that kind of thing is a whole lot worse for those of us who have compulsive tendencies. <laughs> yes, 
Oh my lord. I I'm not actually compulsive. I've had my mumpy, but <laughs> I it, this stuff does bug me because I make lists and lists and my to-do list is 11 pages in Microsoft Word in 10 point font. I have to have a sub list to just function. <laughs> and before I kept that list, things were dropping. I would lose track and then Eight or nine months later, something would remind me, and I'm like, oh, crap, I never did that thing. And that and that's why it's there now, so I don't lose them anymore. But then it needs to be managed, and that's a whole other show. <laughs> All right, we only have a few minutes left, so let's get to the last part. And that is, what are some tips and resources for helping us cope better? So there is no easy fix or magic pill to help. Some things may help at least some, however, such as, Keep a journal or a diary of when you engage in destructive habits that we were talking about earlier um, that you want to stop. You know, if if you're not ready to stop or try to stop, this isn't going to help much. But note what was going on right before you chose to do it. Identify stressors, and that will help you possibly design a solution for it. Next, quantify the thing you want to change. Make goals for yourself. If you blow it, Start again, and don't let it become an excuse to stop. You know, there's no rule about, well, you fucked up a weekend, so you can't do it now. That's not a thing. But we tell ourselves it is, and we need to quit doing that. Some people do much better with these things if they have an accountability buddy. That's not for everyone, but some people really like that. I am definitely one of those people. So get a friend to help and spell out exactly how you want to be checked up on. Because some people want different things. So make sure, pardon hiccups again, make sure your buddy knows what you want them to do if if they're supposed to text you or call you or message you, you know, if you haven't done X, Y, Z. Y'all negotiate that. But accountability buddies are super helpful. Some people feel better if they cannot cheer themselves up by cheering up someone else. Find a local COVID-safe friend or neighbor who needs help and try to help them out safely and within reason. And, you know, if the friend has COVID, maybe you can drop groceries at the door. You know, things you can do there, too. Um, being able to make someone else feel better is often transferable when we are feeling down. I'm definitely also one of those people. If I'm not able to fix my hot mess and I fix someone else's, it actually does help me because I know that I at least made them feel how I wanted to be feeling, and it does make a difference. Also, this article from Centara Health may offer more suggestions, and this one is called Canceled, Coping with Frustration, Disappointment Due to COVID-19 Social Distancing. This was from May 2020 by Denise Hall, Ph.D., CBC, Licensed Clinical Psychologist, etc. Okay, and she says, Events, years in the making, milestones, rites of passage, celebrations and ceremonies have been put off indefinitely, some permanently, to contain the spread of the coronavirus. Cancellations have affected weddings, graduations, proms, vacations, birthday parties, and even funerals. And yeah, I can speak to that one, pending funeral as well. Um, Leaving many to figure out how to cope with these disappointing losses and put them in perspective so they can reach a healthier place. Um, this is uh, something that you can do. Grieving canceled events. 
So grief is the overarching emotion many people are feeling now. Some may not even realize it. With grief comes a lot of different feelings, such as anger, disappointment, frustration, and sadness. There is no right or wrong way to grieve, and there is no timeline for grief. Grief comes and goes in waves, and some days will be better than others. The important thing to remember is that all feelings and times in our lives are temporary. You won't always feel this way. That last sentence I feel like is a little bit of po- is toxic positivity, just a tiny bit. Because when you are grieving, when people tell you how you feel or how you're going to feel, it's a little invasive. But I'm willing to let that part go because it, it's important for us to remember, no matter how overwhelming and shitty it feels right now, that will fade or change at least some. And you can't really tell anybody after that, but it's not always going to be exactly that way all the time. And that's about as good as we get as far as getting a release from it right now. So hopefully that helps. The other thing is make alternate plans. Those morning events, and not in the morning, but who are grieving events that can't be rescheduled face another layer of emotions and complexity whether it's prom, graduation, or another meaningful rite of passage. I actually, the woman who married us got married um, just recently, and she had been slated to get married in April 2020. And there were several postponements of that wedding, and it was very emotionally taxing on all of them. So um, parents or close friends can help those affected by planning something special the day the event was supposed to occur. You may not be able to celebrate that day in the way you would like, but the days can still be memorable. And a lot of people have done those. Some of them have started to work out pretty well. I think the first few were frustrating because nobody had ever really tried this before. They didn't have to. But once they got it mastered, a lot of people were able to do quite a bit. Uh, Here's some other ideas of things you can try as far as alternate plans. Ask friends or family members to share memories in a card or email. Um, I did something like this for my 50th birthday, actually. I asked people to write, to send me a card and write something in there like a memory or like something they think about. And I have to tell you, almost all the stories I got were things I had, actually, I had no idea that they thought about me or that they remembered. I didn't remember large chunks of them. So that's really a fabulous idea to make something special in a way that can keep you safe and still have the day be special. Um, Create a video message and ask others to contribute. I'm a little fuzzy what one would do with that afterwards. I'm I'm not clear where it's going. If you've got to put it on YouTube or I'm not sure. Um, Get takeout from a special restaurant. Spoil yourself and pick a place you don't usually go to. I really like that one quite a bit um, because... Doing something like that for yourself can really help your coping if if you kind of treat it like you're treating yourself. You know, do something you wouldn't normally do and, you know, get that fancy dinner or get that unusual cuisine from your favorite place that's an hour away. You know, um, have a mock prom through Zoom or another online service where you get dressed up and can chat with each other. And this can be for other stuff besides prom. You know, this could be birthdays or anniversaries or uh, any other things where you'd be gathering with people. 
Um, look at pictures you took over your high school or college years that make you smile. Make a collage with them. Eh, I don't know. If you're feeling like art, that's great. For some, some people, such pictures, getting those together to make a collage would be a lot of drama. So I don't know about that one, but there may be people that's helpful for. Um, organize one of the popular car parades. I did a few of those. We did birthday things in my town, and the mayor's wife led it. Ask participants to decorate their cars and make a poster to show off. I have to tell you, those were very, very well received because we had 15 or 20 people, and I was blasting some pretty rocking music at the time, so we got this whole big thing coming and balloons and ribbons on the cars, and people took that special paint that you use for the sports games and painted messages on the sides, and those were actually quite a bit of fun. I'm, I'm a little sad we haven't been doing them as much lately, but people are getting together in person more. Um, also, schedule a teleconference with faraway family. That has really been a nice one as well, even though it took people a while to get used to how to use, you know, Zoom or Teams or whatever you're on. Um, but once, if you can get people to be able to operate it, that's really nice. And actually, I've Visited with quite a few more people than I would have if we'd just been doing this in person. And so it's nice for that. Um, another thing you can do is wear your cap and gown on graduation day and make a fake diploma with all your achievements from high school or college. I, I don't know about the fake diploma. Some people might like it. I'm, I'm kind of indifferent. But, you know, it would be fun to do a video and have people come up and say, you know, congratulations. <laughs> Um, you know, it's just basically you may have to do some of this virtually or if you do it in person with a lot fewer people, um, but you can still make the day significant and special in some way. It's not the same. That's not the point. Uh, the point is to be able to cope and to grieve a little less about the things you lost and focus on the things you can still do. So, not all solutions will work for everyone, as I was just saying, but hopefully there's at least a couple that can inspire a conversation about something that will help. So turn to those in your support system or create a support system. See a mental health professional to discuss your thoughts on it. And with that, I'm going to check in with you, Dr. Mathis, to see if there's anything you want to add. I would say don't neglect your existential slash spiritual aspects because those can be good buffers, too. Oh, that's a very good point. Yes, I, I definitely think that those can help people. And it, you know, if you're not a very spiritual person per se, there are still things you can do that get you in that same emotional space, like spa date type stuff. You know, get, do some spa stuff at home or make an appointment somewhere that's not too crowded. You know, do things like that for yourself. It can get you in the same sanitized headspace that's not necessarily religious in any way but yep. I definitely think that's a great suggestion that other other places weren't mentioning so yeah perfect anything else you want to add no that's it okay so in summary we hope now that our listeners better understand the frustrations of constant changes in plans and activities far far outside what is typical and have some plans to create a support system for themselves to get through the continuing chaos. 
Remember that none of you are alone or unique in feeling fed up and helpless, trying to have at least pieces of your old life back. So please choose to be proactive in solutions that you know work for you. So this concludes our show on coping with extreme holiday uncertainty. And Dr. Mathis has made his closing comments. So on behalf of myself and Dr. Mathis and NDB Media, we want to thank our listeners this evening and give our appreciation also to those of you who may be joining us later via podcast, iTunes, etc. So we'll see you guys in two weeks with a new topic for discussion. That's Wednesday, January 5th, 2022 at 11 p.m. Eastern Time, as always, right here on blogtalkradio.com. I'd like to give a shout-out to other NDB Media shows that are coming up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, Travel Edge Radio is usually on Thursdays right after us, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm not clear if they're on hiatus this week because they have not announced the topic, but just keep an eye out the day after us and see if they're on. Check them out. Sports Talk with the Guys, Saturday morning extravaganza, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. The Monday morning quarterbacks are live on Saturday morning over on Streamlabs. Sunday nights, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. The Walking Dead online viewing party show is on hiatus until February 20th, 2022. Monday night in America with Roger Noriega, 10 p.m. Roger Noriega brings you his unique take on politics, current events, entertainment, sci-fi, and history. Currently hosted on StreamYard also. Um, Tuesdays at 10 p.m. Eastern Time, Phantom Access. We can review. Join the terrific trio of Jamie, Karen, and AJ as they dig into another night of TV. Please look for The Rock and Roll Shrink on Facebook, on Twitter, on iTunes, and on the web at www.rockandrollshrink.com. Good night, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Have a great holiday season, and we will see you next year. Good night and rock on. Mm-hmm.